0: You're listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We rely on the financial support of listeners like yourself to keep going. If you'd like to support diverse voices on your radio, go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Stay tuned to hear the rest of your 3CR podcast. Evil minds at plot destruction Radio satellite. Listen to the Anarchist Wool This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are Anarchist World This Week. That's right, streaming live on 3cr.org.au. This program is podcast. You can Access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Now, a few things today. First of all, I'd just like to say hello to a, for a listener who I first met, uh, been listening for, I think, for many, many years to the anarchist world this week, who I met at the one thaggy uh, public meeting regarding homelessness on the Bass Coast. Uh, hello to Jan from the Surf Coast at Phillip Island. Also, lots of things happening this week and next week. Life goes on, uh, irrespective of what happens in the so-called real world. Life goes on in our world. Um, Wednesday. Today, we'll be uh, congregating on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, 12 to 1, that's uh, public housing, everybody's business. Next week is an exceptionally uh, busy week, a very busy week. We have things organized for you. Well, they're actually, not organized for you, but it makes you sound, makes us. Oh, that was a noise, wasn't it? I think that was God talking to me, but I think she's going to ring back later on. Now, <clears throat> next Monday evening, we've got a public uh, interest before corporate interest. We've got a special guest. Mayu Settle, all the way from Japan, a peace activist who will be entertaining us. No cover charge at La Porquetas at 392 Raftown Street, Carlton North. That's next Monday. That's the 14th. No, sorry. That is the 16th. Monday night is the 16th. Now, on the 14th, we have the Pipsy Congress, the Public Interest Before Corporate Interest Congress, which I'll speak about later on. Six-hour Congress, come along, watch us in action. That's the uh, members of PIPC who come along to the Congress, but we'll speak about that. And on the Wednesday, the 18th of March, we've got the special 149th anniversary uh, lecture, which I'm delivering on the Paris Commune, and again at La Porchette, it's three nine two. Uh, Raft downstream Carlton North in Melbourne. So there's lots of things, but uh, a good way to get a hold of all this is just go to my Facebook page, uh, Joseph Toscano. It's all there. I'm hoping that in the next day or two we'll have a quite an extensive article regarding the importance of the uh, Paris Commune in 1871 and why we are bothering to remember it 149 years later with the 150th anniversary coming up. Next year. So there's lots of things happening, and there's only one thing missing, and that's you. Don't be frightened by uh, what you hear in the media about the uh, world being uh, coming to an end. It's not coming to an end yet. God hasn't uh, informed me about the rapture, so we're all safe. All right. Now, what's anarchy? An anarchist society is a voluntary, non hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision making power and which are based on the uh, equal distribution of wealth, to each according to their need, to each according to their abilities. And it's a very interesting concept, that, because you learn a lot about a people in a time of crisis. You know? You learn a lot. And what I'm seeing highlights to me the direction Australian society has taken in the last 40 or 50 years where we have embraced the concept that the individual is the centre of everything and that the concept of community does not exist and the, ro- and the only role of the state is to ensure that those who uh, exercise power continue to exercise power and uh, with the uh, CoVID 19 uh, crisis we have seen the lack of vision and the lack of ability of governments to handle the situation. and we've seen uh, decisions made on the run which you do make in such a, such a situation but we have seen a situation where there's been a total lack of moral and ethical direction from the federal government. Total lack. You see disinformation and you see uh, run on grocery stores and toilet paper and beans and rice and the list goes on and on, an unnecessary run, and an almost non-response from the federal government. And what we've seen is the essence of the community we've created. We've got a, cre- a community that is, has a trust deficit because so many federal elections have been fought in the idea of uh, you know the other of fear. And federal elections, especially the last federal election, were won on the basis of fear. That there is so much unnecessary fear in the community that people are no longer listening to what governments have to say and are looking at alternative forms of information which in many regards are 100% incorrect and this feeds on this general panic that we are seeing in Australian society today and we are not seeing people coming out and say look, there is a problem It's not a huge problem, but there is a problem, but we don't need the panic because people don't trust the institutions which have been created to theoretically represent their interests. And If you look at what's been happening in this country over the last 40 years or so, and the Findings of royal commission after royal commission after royal commissions regarding the deficiencies of institutions, both state-based and non-state-based, which we, which our society is based on, you begin to understand why there is like this lack of trust and you know, this trust deficit in the Australian community. We've seen Royal Commissions into the financial sector, which has basically highlighted how corrupt the situation was. We've seen a Royal Commission into institutional child abuse, which I think shocked many people in this country, although many people knew what was going on. We've seen federal politics descend into name-calling exercises, we've seen fear being the primary motivating force in this country over the last uh, few decades, whether it's the fear of the refugee, the asylum seeker, the Muslim, the African, gays, it goes on and on. this, this politics of fear. So no wonder People are panicking because they have lost the ability to trust figures in these institutions. And having Mr Morrison of our Prime Minister has been highlights the inadequacy of the man in such an important position. It's as if we are living with a cardboard cutout You know, Scotty from Advertising, this cardboard cutout which seems incapable of actually bringing together the nation in such a way to face this crisis. Now, this isn't a bushfire crisis where you've got, you know, nice animals you can actually um, take photographs of. This is a virus. The thing about a virus is it doesn't care. It doesn't care whether you're rich or poor. It doesn't care whether you're yellow, black, brindle or white. It doesn't care whether you're gay or straight. It doesn't respect borders. It's a hidden enemy. It's potentially everywhere and nowhere. And in a period of crisis, you would hope that the government of the day, especially the federal government, would bring people together to face this problem, bring them together. Not in terms of some vile, gross, patriotic, you know, uh, Campaign, but a campaign that harnesses the goodwill that exists in the community. A campaign that does not divide us on the basis of race or gender, sexual orientation, uh, whether we work or we don't work. A campaign which actually harnesses the best in our society because there are pockets and sometimes large pockets of goodwill in the community but when you have a political class that bases their ascendancy on on fear you dissipate those pockets of goodwill in the community you destroy those pockets of goodwill So we are at a juncture, an important juncture in our society and that juncture is based on the idea of whether we are individuals who are out there to get what we can, as much toilet paper, medicines, whatever, bunker ourselves down and wait for the rapture or whether we're actually a community that works together whether we are a community which is moving towards a more egalitarian basis, not running away from becoming an egalitarian community, not running away from our responsibility as citizens in this community. And this is what we are seeing every individual bunkers down, just relying on their family and friends. The rest of the world, you know, is the enemy. The virus is out there. The fact is very simple, that as a community we can actually face this issue and overcome this issue, but as individuals all we do is perpetuate the fear and the panic, the unnecessary fear and panic which is gripping Australian society, not just Australian society but many parts of the world today. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, believe it or not, there are still people out there who do think, not believe, who do think that change is possible, who do think that egalitarian change is possible. And these are the members of public interest before corporate interests, and uh, we're having a congress this Saturday on the fourteenth of March, from ten am to four pm at the Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church, at a hundred and ten Gray Street in East Melbourne, and uh, it's a uh, congress for uh, Pipsy members, and only Pipsy members have speaking and voting rights at the congress. But obviously, observers are welcome, and if you join Pipsy on the day, obviously you can take part in the conversations and the voting. And we're looking at three things. Practical ways we can increase our membership and I'll be uh, facilitating that discussion. The concept of uh, crowdfunding and uh, Andy will be uh, leading that dis- discussion. And establishing affinity groups, that's uh, special interest groups within within uh, pipsi and uh, Paris will be leading that, that discussion. Now this is a... Congress. It's a working Congress. It's about coming up with ideas. It's about making those ideas a reality. It's about ensuring that public interest before corporate interest becomes registered as a federal political party before the end of the year. Our membership is slowly climbing up. We've got over four hundred, around about four hundred and sixteen, seventeen people on the electoral roll now, and we're moving towards five hundred and fifty, which hopefully will occur sooner than later. But the Congress is about, it's 10am to 4pm this Saturday the 14th of March at the Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church at 110 Grey Street East Melbourne. Because today, in Australian society, there are few social, cultural, political organisations which put the interests of the many before the interests of the few. And what we are seeing, the reaction we are seeing to the COVID 19 issue highlights how we've become a society where the interests of the few dominate day to day discussion, dominate every aspect of our lives. And the thing about uh, being a member of public interest before corporate interests, it's a matter, it's It demonstrates that there are individuals and groups within this society that still think that we can address the growing inequalities in power and wealth in this country. That we can address the institutional shortcomings in this country, not by hitching our wagon to the corporate sector not by hitching our wagons to political organisations which grow because they promote the fear in the community but actually creating our own wagon and moving that forwards on the basis of trying to find community focused solutions to problems that face us as human beings on this planet. Not specific issues, but general issues. And I think what the COVID-19 crisis highlights is that there are different ways of addressing issues. And you can use fear and isolation and just think about yourself in that particular situation or we can actually harness the goodwill that exists in the community to address issues, whether there are issues of homelessness, whether it's issues of inequality, whether it's issues like the COVID-19 um, situation we find ourselves in whether it's issues about older people not actually getting the care they need in privatised nursing homes, but it's addressing issues fundamentally in a political way. And what I mean by political is a way of actually changing institutions, changing the directions of institutions and changing the philosophical basis and that society is based on. And over the last 40 years, we've seen the creation of a society which is based in the idea that I'm all right, Jack, and stuff everybody else. And the reality is, when you live in large urban centres, and Australia is one of the most urbanised countries in the world, cooperation, not competition is the mechanism via which we can address as a community problems which face each and every one of us, problems due to increasing temperatures, due to human-induced climate change, problems that face us in terms of the increasing threats of bacteria and virus in a world where the temperature is changing and the environment is changing in such a way as to uh, encourage the development of new bacteria and of viruses in the community, which can have a diabolical effect on the community. So we, we need to understand that, that these are problems which require collective solutions. But if in our day-to-day life and in the political and social and cultural institutions we have where the concept of competition and the concept that, you know, if I'm all right, nothing else matters, dominates our thinking, then we don't actually have the structures via which to address issues like COVID-19. And that's why we see governments scrambling. will give you a simple example. I mean, this country doesn't even have a Centre for Disease Control a federal centre for disease control. Because obviously viruses, bacteria, various diseases is a national issue. They don't respect state boundaries. It's a national issue. And if you don't actually have a well-funded centre for disease control, then you're reacting after the event, not having things in place before the event occurs in order to address those events. How can a country the size of Australia not have a centre for disease control as part and parcel of its armaments to protect its citizens from the threat of disease? Because at the end of the day, it's not foreign invaders which is the problem or asylum seekers or refugees or Africans or Muslims as we're told, or, you know, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander, as we're told incessantly. I mean, the greatest threat we face is the threat of disease, especially disease which is born, created by um, viruses and bacteria, which can have catastrophic events on communities. So while we continue our little competitive, you know, behaviour and create financial structures and institutional structures and religious structures and this list goes on and on, which pay homage to competition and ignore the collective wealth of experience and goodwill that exists in a community to tackle a particular issue then we will see the panic which we see today because nobody trusts anybody. You don't trust the government. You don't trust the religious institutions. You don't trust financial institutions. You don't trust your neighbour. You don't even trust your family. So this trust deficit, and we do have a huge trust deficit in our society, is significant barrier to act to us collectively as a nation and as a people facing challenges, whether it's challenges from increasing temperatures, whether it's challenges from drought, whether it's challenges from bushfire, whether it's challenges from disease. If you can't trust the people around you and you can't trust the institutional structures that have been created, well then obviously... You fall back on yourself. And when societies are atomized, nothing happens. We have It becomes impossible to face crises. You listen to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the community radio network. So, if you're one of those people who still thinks that change is possible, that egalitarian change is desirable, then I encourage you to uh, join public interest before corporate interests and come along to the Congress this Saturday on the 14th of March, 10am to 4pm at the Melbourne Unitarian Peace Memorial Church at 110 Gray Street East, Melbourne. Want to look at the program? Go to pipsy p i b c i dot inet Very sophisticated webpage, very easy to use. Go have a look at it, net, and... Uh, If you're not a member, if you join on the day, you'll be able to take part in the discussions and uh, vote on the particular issues which uh, will be discussed at the Congress. And the three issues that will be discussed at the Congress were the issues which were raised at the annual general meeting in November last year. All right, let's move on. Let's move on. Now, sometimes there there are dots which you can join, which when you first look at them, seem impossible These, the gap seems so huge that you can't join it and I'm talking about the concept of a universal basic wage and a universal basic wage is a simple idea that in a society which is becoming increasingly automated where uh, so called artificial intelligence is taking a bigger and bigger role, and more and more people are being squeezed out of the marketplace in terms of having a job, where one third of Australian workers are basically casual workers. You begin to realise the extent of the issue. Well, then, we need a different mechanism via which to reward people. And the concept of universal basic income is that every individual in society receives a universal basic income which is designed to look after their basic needs. Now, obviously, having a universal basic income does take increase in taxation, not just personal taxation, but things like a 1% turnover tax, so that corporations who don't pay tax legally pay some tax, or a 1% stock market tax. Could you imagine all the money that would have come in in the past two or three days as the stock market goes up and down, up and down, up and down, like a yo-yo? Could you imagine that? Billions of dollars into the Treasury coffers or the establishment of uh, nationally owned infrastructure and the money which come in from that. So the concept of a universal basic wage solves a lot of issues, a lot of issues that when you look at them initially seem to have no connection. I'll give you a fair example. Now, the tragic murder of Hayley Clark and her children in Brisbane two weeks ago once again brought to the fore the question of family violence in this country. And in many situations, people don't leave unsuitable situations because they don't have the resources. It's that simple. A universal basic wage for every individual 18 and over, would mean that people who find themselves in an unsatisfactory personal situation could leave because they've got financial support. A universal basic income would mean that people whose livelihoods have been destroyed in the bushfires across Australia and the droughts that have been occurring across Australia and the floods that have occurred across Australia would once again... Wouldn't have to rely on charity or singers, you know, coming from overseas and cancelling, you know, some concert or some fashion designer selling one of her creations. Wouldn't have to rely on private charity, but would actually have that universal basic wage, which would ensure they could survive during a period of disaster. Then you've got the situation of the COVID-19 virus where many part-time casual workers don't have sick leave and that to self-isolate for 14 days creates a huge burden on them when there is no income coming in. But having a universal basic wage would again would mean that you've got that fallback situation. And think about all the different pensions and things that we have you get rid of them tomorrow with a universal basic wage. Now, it's all right if you live in a society where everybody has a job and if you reward people for living in that society who've got a job by giving them an income, but it's a different ball game, different football game, when you don't need everybody in society to work in order for that society to be profitable and to function. So the concept of a universal basic wage has profound impacts on a community. Many communities, within communities in our society, which find themselves on the margins and the outers, who find they have no options, who find they prefer to, you know, look after their children instead of being paid, of, you know, a lowly paid worker in the gig economy. A universal basic wage does allow people to make those choices. In a highly industrialised, technologically focused society, where human labour is no longer needed to create profit, then the idea of a universal basic wage becomes more and more important. And if you think this is something new, it's not something new, and I've spoken about this before. The Roman Empire had to deal with with a plebeian class that had voting rights but had been forced out of work with the importation of tens, hundreds of thousands of slaves into the Roman Empire, you know, worked for nothing. And the way they were placated was with free food, subsidised accommodation, 182 public holidays a year, bread and circuses. That's where the concept comes from. So it's nothing new. So I think what we should be looking at is the introduction, not just the introduction of a universal basic income, but also how it would work and how it would be financed. And if you look at the policy documents of public interest before corporate interests, if you go to pipsy.net, you'll see the policy document on universal basic wage. It highlights how it can be funded, and the positive uh, results in a community. But again, it's a matter of political will. Currently, we are doing everything we can as a society to keep non-functioning industries functioning. Now, a lot of people who are involved in the forestry industry, a lot of people who are involved in the coal industry, A lot of people involved in many other industries, which you can see the writing on the wall, will fight tooth and nail to maintain their jobs because that's how they pay their bills. And the idea of a universal basic income means that... That pushback from people whose jobs no longer will be needed in the future will be less because they know that their basic human needs will be met by society. It's not like some stopgap helicopter money being thrown out to pensioners, which I assume is what's going to happen in the next few days, or some, you know, some ridiculous compensation to a small business that requires so much paperwork that most people don't get it, although it looks good in the headlines, a universal basic income resolves all that issue. It resolves the issue of self-isolation during a crisis, bacterial or viral crisis. It resolves that issue. So I think... The concept of a universal basic income should be at the forefront of our thinking as a society in terms of addressing issues that we face, not as individuals, but as communities. You listen to the Anarchist World This Week broadcast across Australia via the community radio network. Yeah, one simple way of finding it. Now, we've got, what, 25.4 million people living on a continent, which I love to say every week. It's not a lot of people, and it's a mineral-rich continent. But unfortunately, unlike a lot of countries, we have allowed that mineral wealth to be exploited on our behalf by transnational and local-based corporations whose major responsibility is to their major shareholders, not to the people of this country. So we've got the ridiculous situation where the wealth that trickles back in taxation and jobs and royalties isn't even 10% of the wealth which is extracted from the ground from our vast mineral resources, whether it's gold, whether it's diamonds, whether it's coal, whether it's iron ore, whether it's opals, and the list goes on and on and on and on. Mineral sands, and it goes on, and I could go on forever. Just extraordinary. Just developing our own resources will be more than enough to actually fund a universal basic income funded. If four point five million people in Norway can actually amass, you know, a fortune of, you know, I think one and a half trillion dollars in their uh in their sovereign fund through oil deposits, why can't we? Think about it. I mean things don't have to be the way they are. We always think that things have to be the way they are. The only way you can develop wealth is through capital and the only way you can get capital is through investment. Well, it doesn't have to be that way. How the minerals are mined is not the issue. Who they're sold to is not the issue. The issue is who do they belong to and who profits from them in the long run. It's a very simple concept. But again, it's a concept which nobody wants to talk about. It's not about nationalising mineral wealth. It's about using that mineral wealth for Australians, both Indigenous and non-Indigenous. That's what it's about. So there are many different ways of approaching issues about Income, how you create income, how you create wealth, how you distribute wealth. And in our society, which is a private society which is based on the use of private capital to create private profits, where the state is basically an instrument which uh, ensures... The status quo continues that those who own the means of production, distribution, exchange, communication continue to own those instruments. We see the creation of a society where, although we are wealthy on paper, in reality, we're indebted up to our necks. We spend 30 to 50% of our income keeping a roof over our heads. We are one of the most over-medicated people on the planet, not just in terms of illegal drugs, but illegal drugs. There is so much anxiety in the community, which we're seeing, you know, seeing the ugly sides of it in the COVID-19 uh, uh, crisis. And the list goes on and on and on and on and on. So why should we continue down this path of allowing the corporate sector to dictate the parliamentary agenda of electing and re-electing and electing and re-electing and electing and re-electing and I could go on for the next 20 years saying the same two, three or four words, electing and re-electing, the same people who are there to protect the interests of the status quo. They're not there to protect our interests. If they were there to protect our interests, we wouldn't see this legislation. I'll give you a, a simple ridiculous example this is so ridiculous you could actually make a comedy skit out of it I understand it's comedy week soon in Melbourne and um, if you are in Melbourne you turn up to one of these things this would just be a wonderful comedy skit now Australia is the second highest gas exporter after Qatar in the world okay now in West Australia Australia Successive West Australian governments have ensured that there is a reserve of gas which is sold to West Australian industries. Okay? So West Australian gas costs are exceptionally low. But on the east coast of Australia, we now have corporations actually bidding to build facilities in the major capital cities that will allow gas to be imported to force down gas prices in East Australia. And you know why this happened? Because when the contracts were drawn up, which were very friendly as far as the gas extraction companies were concerned, that no allowance was made for local consumption. There was no reserve for local consumption. I mean, this is the lunacy of living in a society based on private investment for private gain. I mean, all you've got to see is the gyrations in the stock market over the last few days to see what an unstable society we live in. Could you imagine you have been paying superannuation into your fund... For 40 years and you're about to retire, and all of a sudden, you know, you're, the stock market's going up and down, up and down, up and down, you know? <laughs> extraordinary. Panic buying, panic selling. Just extraordinary. What a way to live. When I mean, you reach the end of your working life. You've paid superannuation. Your superannuation is invested for you, in inverted commas, in the very organisations that have exploited your labour all, all your life. And then you find it dissipates overnight? Extraordinary. Just extraordinary. But that's what happens when you don't think outside of the parameters that our society is based on. I mean, why have we, and as I've said over and over again, as a community, allowed governments at the state and federal level to privatise assets which were built through the blood, sweat and tears of Australians to provide essential services to the community which created a profit which went back into extending these essential services or which went back into the Treasury to provide services. Why have we allowed these these facilities to be privatized at bargain basement prices. And then we see what happens when you privatize the energy sector. And you've got somebody owns the power lines, somebody owns the transmission station, somebody owns, you know, the, the distribution network, somebody owns the, the business that actually sells you the electricity, and the list goes on and on. And every one of these every one of these makes a profit. The banking sector. You privatise the Commonwealth Bank. What happens? You've got no competition. You've just got these private banks, you know, gouging people on a daily basis because there's no competition. There's no mixed economy. And we've allowed this to occur. And why does it occur? Well, it's very simple. Public assets do not belong to the people. Now, I've been... I've been a bit amused to see all the advertising lately regarding the Australian Broadcasting Corporation saying the Australian Broadcasting Corporation, well, it's your ABC. Your ABC. It reflects your opinions. It's your ABC. Well, the ABC does not belong to the people of Australia. The Australian Broadcasting Corporation, like the Commonwealth Bank, like Qantas, like the airports, like the ports like telecommunications, and the list goes on and on, did not belong to the Australian people. Did at any stage before any of these assets were privatised, were you asked in a referendum whether you wanted to privatise these assets? No. Not once. Not once. Because in Australia, public assets belong to the government of the day at the state and federal level. And they can privatise those assets at any time they like, and they've continued to privatise those assets, creating the mess we find ourselves in today as far as, you know, having some competitive forces working in our society. Capitalism isn't about competition. The logical end point of a capitalist society is corporatisation, and that means in fancy language, it means every time you go into a shopping centre, the major players in that shopping centre is the same corporation. And what we've seen is what I call the bananization of activity in this country, where one large corporation dominates activity in a particular field and then sets its own prices. Where are the independent hardware stores? Where are the independent pet stores? Where are the independent retail chains? You cannot compete against these corporations, especially in a country like Australia, where you, have, where you don't have antitrust laws, which stops corporations from dominating particular aspects of daily living. And then you wonder why wages are low, you wonder why you've got a de-unionized workplace. You wonder why there's so much anxiety in the community, so much reactive depressive illness in the community. And a reactive depression is a a depression you feel because of the situation you find yourself in, not because you're born with a particular, you know, a pre predisposition to a depressive illness. And when you live in a, an economy where there's one in seven workers is a temporary worker from overseas, where one in three workers is a casual worker, where less than 12% of the Australian workforce is now unionised, and when you take out the public sector, it's about 6%, and the concept of collective bargaining no longer exists, where strikes have been outlawed, except through you know convoluted enterprise bargaining agreement periods, and the list goes on and on. You begin to understand why we find ourselves in this situation where you don't feel you're part of a community. Look at, the, look at the national holidays. What do we got? Christmas and Easter. The Queen's birthday. Invasion Day. <laughs> Think about it. Anzac Day. Where are those unifying days? that unify us as a community. Where is, what's happened to every initiative to actually come to some type of agreement with the country's First Nations people? Ended up nowhere. We have initiatives to address the issue of homelessness and poverty, which blights the life of over 30% of people in this country. Where have all those initiatives end up in? In the private sector, where you've got a private Centrelink, another privatisation disaster, you know, where you've got private organisations profiting from providing basic services to people. You get private prisons. It just goes on and on and on and on. 40% of every dollar which goes to a private organisation to provide a government service, and most government services have been outsourced. I'll give you an example. Now, the Australian Tax Office, most of their employers have been laid off. Most of their services have been outsourced. For example, in a uh, tax office in um, Melbourne... They've got a building in um, Moonee Ponds, seven storeys, down to four storeys, as more and more work is outsourced to the private sector. Not that the work is done more efficiently or more cheaply. It's actually more expensive every time it's outsourced to the private sector. Look at the National Disability Insurance Scheme. Unless you run your own game, and you do have that a possibility, $0.40 cents of every dollar goes to the organisation which, you know, runs that program for you. Look at all these bodgy employment companies out there who make their money from forcing you to attend meetings, which lead nowhere, and every time you attend, ka-ching, 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 ka-ching. And again, these are ideological decisions. These are not decisions which have been based on... Economics, it's got nothing to do with economics, it's about ideology. As more and more services in Centrelink are outsourced, it's about ideology. As more and more assets are privatised, it's about ideology. And if you think we live in a free marketplace where the market, the prices are decided by the market you must believe in the fairies at the bottom of the garden and the Easter bunny, as well as Santa Claus. Hmm. Because that's the reality. We live in a society which is dominated by the idea of creating ever-increasing profits for major shareholders of privately owned companies. Whether it's childcare, which is now dominated by three or four large uh, preschool organisations, whether it's aged care, which is now dominated by three or four large corporations, whether it's medical care, 80% of all radiological uh, devices in this country are now owned by two corporations, whether it's general practice, over 50% of general practices and are owned by three or four large corporations. And the list goes on and on. What we've seen is the corporatisation of almost everything. And that has led to the situation we find ourselves in. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. That's 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. A few things just to uh, remind you. Next Monday, that's Monday, the 16th of March, we're having a special concert uh, by uh, Japanese peace activist Mayu Seto at um, La Poquette. Is at 392, starts at 7pm, 392 Down Street, Carlton North. No cover charge. Come along, have something to eat. Uh, Mayu Seto is only here for a few weeks. She'll be leaving Melbourne in a few days. So come along next Monday. Have a listen, 7pm, no cover charge. Enjoy yourself for the night. She's a great musician, great singer, all all her material's original. So come along and uh, have a listen. Also, don't forget that uh, Wednesday, the 18th of March... We will be holding the 149th anniversary of the Paris Commune um, celebrations. At, uh, I'll be giving a public lecture, and that lecture should be available on, on my Facebook page in the next few days. Uh, that's Joseph Toscano, and that's it again at 7pm, same venue, La at 392 Raftown Street, Carlton North. You've been listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. Become a member of PIPSI today. Download the application form, PIPSI, P I B C I. Net. Want to find out what the organisation is all about? Come along to the PIPSI Membership Congress this Saturday, the 14th of March, 10am to 4pm at the Melbourne Unitarian Peace Church. Uh, more information, go to the website, Pipsy.net. Uh, my Facebook page, Joseph Toscano. Uh, other Facebook pages, uh, public interests. Uh, public Housing, Everybody's Business, Defending Extent, Public Housing, anarchistmedia.org. You can leave messages if you want further information about these uh, ideas on 0439 395 489. 0439 395 489. And remember, don't panic. There's no point in panicking. We need to face the issues we face collectively, not as individuals. As individuals, we will fail. As a collective, if we approach things collectively, we will always win. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station, courtesy of the Community Radio Network. This program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au That's 3cr.org.au Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Listen in to the anarchist world this week on your local community radio station courtesy of the community radio network next week this program has been coming to you from the studios of 3CR in Melbourne if you want to learn more about 3CR go to 3CR.org.au and don't forget the program is podcast 3CR.org.au listen in to Joseph Toscana next week on the anarchist world this week at plot destruction <laughs> Sorcerer of Death Construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist Wall This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10 a.m. every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist Wall This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events wash my hands oh, Lord, yeah. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia.